Amen. Hebrews chapter 5, starting at verse 11 today. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Amen. Boys and girls, when I was a young person uh, and went away to school, I had some friends after I became a Christian that I really looked up to. Uh, they seemed, at least from my perspective, really mature as believers in the Lord. and They seemed to know a lot about the Bible that I, as a new Christian, did not yet know. And so I really uh, elevated these uh, friends in my mind. But of course, as school goes on and you graduate and life goes on, uh, you kind of begin to lose a little bit of touch with each other that you once had when you were going to class together. And I graduated and went on and eventually to seminary because I was interested in becoming a better Christian and knowing more about the Bible. But in God's providence, I had opportunity to uh, visit some of my friends from college. And I think one of the things that stood out to me was that I noticed a remarkable difference now. And that whereas formerly I had really elevated these friends of mine and looked up to them, it was almost like the roles now had been reversed. And that I felt like I had grown so much in the last couple of years as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they not only maybe were where they exactly were when we were still undergrads, but maybe it had even gotten worse. In the case of two of them in particular, it was almost like they just didn't want to talk about the things of the Lord anymore. And there was this odd gulf now. Whereas formerly we felt like we had walked together to the house of the Lord. And now it seemed as though I had grown much in my love for the Lord, in my faith in the Lord, in my knowledge in the Lord. The fellowship that I once felt in the Lord with these brethren was no longer really there. They didn't want to almost seemingly speak of these things anymore. They didn't seem to have the same level of commitment and joy that they once had. And it was almost as though they sensed it too. And that, that made it all the more awkward when I had visited with them. The author of our text is trying to help this congregation by keeping them peddling, as we've said in the weeks past, to keep them persevering, to keep them going forward, not backward, to keep them growing 
in the love and the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't want, if he has been absent from them, to visit them again and find them in a different place. Remember the Apostle Paul spoke of this with the Corinthians. He said, you know, who is going to make me happy if I come and find you sad? If I come and find you in a, in a different place than where you once were, then what joy am I going to derive from that being with you? And so, you know, Paul, even when he disciplined the Corinthians from a distance, did so so that they might have joy and growth, and that, they, they, that, that, that growth and joy would be a joy to him. He didn't want to make them sorrowful just for the sake that he could see them sorrowful. He wanted them only temporarily to be sorrowful, that they would get back on track, get back to the path that they should be walking in as a congregation so that that church, when he did visit them, would make them make the apostle happy. Well, here in our text, and we're not sure under the Lord who is the human author. John Owen thought it was the apostle Paul. More modern day scholars aren't so certain that the apostle Paul is the author here. I'm a little bit disinclined myself, given a few of the sentences here. Uh, I don't think the Apostle Paul would have ever had to have written somewhere it is written. <laughs> I think Paul knew every verse of that Old Testament. But nevertheless, our point here is that we need to be careful that we don't become dull and slothful. I'm going to give us two points here today. Number one is that we don't become dull of hearing. And number two is that we do not become slow in our growth. That we do not become dull, or some translate that Greek word slothful in English, that we do not become dull or slothful of hearing, and that our growth does not slow. The first point is coming from verse 11, and the second point will be verse 12, and then the third point will be the applications of these first two. So let's look together at, first of all, verse 11. Do not become dull or slothful in hearing. Now the author here says, Concerning him we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. That's our first point. The church has become dull. Something has happened spiritually to the visible church here, to this congregation of believers. They have become slothful in their ability to listen to the scriptures and the hearing of God's word. Notice that I'll call him the apostle for our sake, and I'm using the apostle broadly there, meaning one who speaks on behalf of Christ. The apostle says here, concerning him, we have much to say. Now, who is the him here? Well, our commentators tell us that the him is that pronoun referring to the subject in the previous verse. That is, speaking of Melchizedek. Now, I think that's quite interesting that the author here is saying that he has much to teach this congregation about the mysterious figure of Melchizedek. But this congregation isn't ready to hear substantive teaching about Melchizedek as a type of Christ. 
I find that interesting. I hope you do as well. That the church should be studying the Old Testament, should be eating the Old Testament and hearing preaching on an Old Testament figure like Melchizedek and how he points us to our Savior. But because of spiritual deficiencies, the church doesn't seem ready to handle that teaching. They should be in a place to hear it by now, but they're not. And so the apostle chides them that the fault is not with the text. The fault is not that we are dealing with material that is too difficult to be understood. Uh, this, the material here is maybe, as you might say, not as difficult as we had to handle last Sunday night. You remember that? Remember, boys and girls, speaking about the communicatio idiomatum? Right? We're talking about how Christ is one person with two natures, and what is true of one nature is always true of the person of Christ, but not always true of the other nature of Christ. That's a hard subject to think about. Jesus Christ being both God and man in much depth. We're not even talking about that. We're talking about type, typology here. We're talking about Melchizedek. Yes, he's a mysterious figure. But the author here is seeming to suggest that this is something they should be handling by now. And unfortunately, a lot of churches never do reach that point where they handle this kind of material. After I came to Jesus Christ in my own life, I joined a, a particular denomination and was happy to be a member of that denomination and happy about its view of Scripture and its view of the inerrancy of Scripture, the infallibility of Scripture. They were very warm. They were very welcoming. It was a great place to wade into the pool, if you will, of faith and church community. But one of the things I noticed after being a member of it for a couple of years is that it was like, well... But now what? It seemed as though that if you were hungry and wanted more knowledge of what the Bible was telling you, you couldn't get it in certain places. I had a friend. We were classmates together. We were class officers together when we were in high school. And it was interesting as we were college students, she was going through the same thing. She went to a different college but we would meet up with each other during breaks and we attended the same church when we were home on Thanksgiving or Christmas or spring breaks and, and summer break. And, and she was sensing the same thing. She had been moving more and more in a reform direction. And, and uh, so had I. And we were hungering for that. And yet we were finding in our home church that the feeding was not quite there. We were in the same Sunday school class. We even met with a pastor and said, you know, we're really looking for more. And, you know, in God's providence, that was one of the means that God used to lead me to seminary. Actually, I just wanted to become a better Christian. I wanted to go to a place where I could be fed from, from the scriptures. We, we as a church are to be teaching all of the scriptures. Now, we teach the scriptures in due proportion to the needs of the church. We realize that the church will always have a variety of needs within it. There are those who are unconverted and need the gospel. There are those who are young in the faith and they need the milk of the word. 
They need things put very plainly uh, that they can be able to digest. And there are those who need meat in the church. They need substantive food if they are going to be sustained with a healthy growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we always want to try to balance that out in our preaching and in our teaching. But in our text here, the congregation had become dull in the hearing. The problem was not in the scripture. The problem was not in the subject matter. In fact, they they should have been already mastering that material by now. The problem was a want of spiritual growth. And, And that they were not hearing well. There was, if you will, a a hardness of hearing, a spiritual deafness that seemed to be overtaking them. Now, we don't know exactly how this was manifesting itself. It may have been at the level of comprehension. That is, they may not have been hearing well. That is, they may not have been understanding the gospel rightly. The apostle here seems to suggest that they are going to have to go back to the basics of the gospel and explain them all over again. And they, they maybe because he has seen, as we have gotten hints of in the former chapters of this book, that they seem to be tempted to go back to the old covenant. And therefore, Paul is having to explain, look, you, you obviously are not understanding the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are tempted to go back to the old covenant to the shadows to the types to the things that were pointing to the substance of Jesus instead of going to Jesus himself then there's a problem at a fundamental level we need to go back so it may it may be at, at the level of comprehension you know as a pastor sometimes uh, people visit and you you meet those people who are visiting maybe from out of town and on a rare occasion, I'm thankful it's rare, but one or two times I have experienced where you're at the door and you, you greet them and you realize they didn't understand anything you just had said. They say something about your message and you realize that the, the wires did not connect, that they heard something completely different than what you were trying to communicate. Now, as I said, thankfully, that has been a rare experience, but it has been an experience of mine. Sometimes you go places, I go places and and preach, and you realize that not everybody in the audience had ears to hear. And so they came away with something very different than the truth of Jesus Christ coming into the world to save sinners, and that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you would be saved, you would be justified, you would receive the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of Jesus imputed to you. And they hear something else, something entirely different, how to be good or uh, how to you know, do this. So it might be at the level of comprehension. That could be one of the signs of, of being slothful in hearing. But it also could be not at the level of comprehension, but at the level of appetite. It is, it may be that what they know, they know. 
And they know accurately, but there is not a desire for it for whatever reason. That is, they may be, it may be manifesting itself in that they are seeking fewer opportunities to hear. Later in this same book, the author of Hebrews is going to warn them not to be neglecting the gathering of the saints. So it, it is evident that that may well have been a problem and that their dullness in hearing is manifesting itself in their absence from church, in their absence from coming to the worship of God and the hearing of the word of God. One of the things I saw this uh, past week was somebody has done a study of the PCA churches, uh, which is, for those of you who may be visiting, that's a sister denomination of ours. We have what we call fraternal relations with this denomination. We've even talked in the times past of merging together. In this study that this person did, uh, they discovered that only 12% of PCA churches offer a second service on the Lord's Day. Now, you have heard me bang that pulpit many times, I know. But I think Bob Godfrey has a point, the former president of Westminster West. There should be a revolt going on in the pew of the PCA. demanding that their pastors preach a second sermon on the Lord's Day. If the pastor themselves will not lead the church in that, feeding them, what is this dullness for hearing of the Word of God? I know some will say, Show me a verse where it says, Thou shalt have a second service. Well, I'll show you the verse that says, Remember the Lord's day and not the Lord's morning. (laughs) I'll show you verses that point to morning and evening sacrifices in the Old Covenant. And are you going to tell me that the Old Testament worshiper who saw Jesus from afar at a distance in shadows and types of bleeding sheep are going to have more desire for worship than somebody who has seen Jesus Christ with faith? The argument is from the lesser to the greater. We should be wanting more of Christ because we've seen him more of him than the old covenant believer. The old covenant believers wanted two sacrifices. Where is the hunger? and the thirst for the word of God in our country. Don't make it easier for the pastor. (laughs) Our flesh is like anybody else's. Yeah, sure. There's a sense that it'd be nice to not have to work and do that extra effort, but friends, that's, that's not... We should be delighting in the Lord. You know, the preaching of God's word, that's the easy part about this job. That's the fun part. And every minister of the gospel should be wanting to preach the word, not close the doors. 
not turn the lights out. And I've seen it with my own eyes here in LaGrange, Georgia, in the so-called Bible Belt. In the 1990s, there, I can name the names of the churches that were open on Sunday night in this community and are closed on Sunday night now, 30 years later. I could name the names. I won't. This is a, this is a sad trend in America. When the Lord providentially still gives us the whole of the day, doesn't he? We still have Sunday in this country, civically, to rest and worship. And yet a lot of people, they want to go to the lake, they want to go to the golf course, they want to go hunting, they want to do whatever. Instead, instead of being in the house of the Lord and saying, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Or saying, I I don't live by bread alone. I don't live by steak and potatoes alone. I live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I've only got so many Sundays before I die and see Jesus. And there are a lot of verses in this Bible. There's a lot of eating I need to do. There's a lot of feeding I need. There's a lot of reading. There's a lot of memorizing. There's a lot of meditating I need to do. This is a big book. Why why waste your Sabbath? Some people are wasting their Sabbath because it's a spiritual problem. They've become dull in hearing, slothful in hearing, slothful in desiring, slothful in wanting the Bible. You know, these controversies that our General Assembly is not necessarily ours, but broadly speaking, are having over cultural issues. Even if the majority votes the right way on those cultural issues, you're still left with a church that isn't hungering and thirsting for the Word of God. There are deeper problems in the Reformed Church today than these little cultural manifestations that are, that are popping up. And even, if, even if you fix those issues, even if you vote on those issues, there's a fundamental problem. I, I was talking to somebody this week from our church, and they're, they're going on vacation. And they said, Pastor, I can't find a Reformed church that has evening worship. We're looking online. We're searching all, we're going, you know, on Google Maps and we're looking at the Reformed churches that are within proximity of where we're going to be vacationing and we're looking and they're all closed. That's what I know. This is not a new problem. There's always been a want of hearing, but it has always gone badly for those who were dull and slothful in hearing. You think about Zedekiah. I, you know, the enemy is at the gate, literally, for King Zedekiah. You remember Zedekiah, boys and girls? He's the king of Judah and Jerusalem. And the Babylonian Empire 
Nebuchadnezzar's vast army can literally be seen on the plains. And Jeremiah even tells him, look, there's a way out, Zedekiah, if you'll just listen to the word of God. But if you do not listen to the word of God and you refuse to do what I'm telling you to do, this place is going to be destroyed. And what does Zedekiah decide to do? He goes his own way. He refuses to listen to the word of God as it meets him in the application at that moment in his life. Did Zedekiah believe in inerrancy? Maybe. But he was dull of hearing when it came to what he personally needed to do as the king of Judah. You know, Pharaoh, how many times did Pharaoh hear the word of God from Moses? And yet each time, what does the scriptures tell us? Pharaoh hardened his heart under the hearing of the word. And he would see with his own eyes the judgment of God, not once, not twice, not three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times, ten times. And he would rather choose death than listen to the word of God. Ezekiel lamented in his own day that the people of God in his day. Now, these are this is this is a post-exilic prophet. This is a prophet who is ministering to the people of God after the judgments of God have fallen on them. And yet even still, under all that chastening, he said, they listened to me like I was an opera singer. They loved the sound of my voice and the melodic way in which I preach and teach, but man, it's like Italian to them. They have no understanding of what I'm saying. They're not believing. Herod, used to love to listen to John the Baptist, but it didn't lead him to faith and repentance. The author of Hebrews says, concerning him, Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull in hearing. Now, that was not the only problem, though. Not only was there a slothfulness in the hearing of the scripture, but there was a retardation of growth in the church. Because look at verse 12 and following. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. He is saying here that enough time had gone by that they should have matured to the point where they were discipling other people. And instead, they still need to be on the receiving side of the discipleship. They should have, at this time, matured to the point where they could share the gospel with others and teach them the things of Christ. You know... When you go to the doctor, um, as I went to the doctor for my annual this past week, uh, one of the things they always check for is your weight, right? It's not good to weigh too much, but if there's a sudden loss in weight, that's also, if you're not trying, 
and there's a sudden loss in weight, that also is a sign of concern to the doctor. And the author of Hebrews is saying here that there is no weight gain in this congregation. Proper, healthy weight gain. What are we always looking for when a new child is born and we bring the child to the doctor? The the doctor wants to see, is the child putting on weight? If the child's not putting on weight, then there is growing concern that something's wrong with the child. And here, the author of Hebrews is saying to this congregation, you should be teachers now. You should have sufficient weight to help others. But there's an infantilism about you. Sufficient is the time that you should be ministering to others. But there is this prolonged immaturity in their development. The development has stagnated and maybe even gone backwards here. He says that um, you have come to need, notice verse 12 at the end, you have come to need milk and not solid food. What is that a reference to there, boys and girls? That's a reference to the fact that they're babies, isn't it? That they need milk. Who needs milk all the time? Who is it that cannot eat solid food? Well, they're the newborn babies, aren't they? Young babies need milk. When you get older, you can begin to eat food, right? Mom, dad cuts up little pieces of food, begins to put it on the tray of the toddler, and the toddler begins to take little chunks of food and eat the food. It's maturing. It's growing. But here, this congregation has not even come to that point yet. He says in uh, verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk, it says the idea here is that, you know, it's not saying adults can't drink milk. But it's saying here, only those who are only taking milk, everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. That is because those who eat solid food and put it into application in their lives, they are growing in grace. That is, as you take the word and you learn from the word and the word instructs you in both uh, the things of the gospel but also the responsibilities that come with the gospel, As you begin to apply those increasingly in your life, you grow in grace. And as you grow in grace, you're able to handle more mature food. And so that there is this development that goes on here. Now, what I want to do is I want to make application for us on these points here that we have been discussing. And I want to give you at least four here before we come to the Lord's table. Number one, application number one, Covenant Church, we need to watch for signs of slowing growth or aversion to the hearing of preaching. We need to watch for signs of slowing growth in our lives or an aversion to the hearing of sound preaching. As I said earlier here, I am concerned at a macro level that this is a growing problem in the United States. I think if we were 
a more healthy church, we would be wanting more preaching in general, generally speaking. That, that, that there would be a greater demand for the hearing of the word of God. That the pulpit would be more prominent in our communities again. Did you know that um, a lot of the best-selling material historically has been Christian books? Now, sometimes that's still true in our culture, and it's just the bias of the New York Times that won't put spiritual books in in their column. But um, I think it is telling, though, uh, that that publishers... um, often we're producing a lot of Christian books. Now, we are blessed, thankfully, with a lot of good publishing. I think if I can complain about what's happening on the Lord's Day, let me say I think it's better publishing-wise where we are today than where we were five decades ago. I think the publishing has gotten better. And, and, and the encouraging thing, I would say, is that somebody's buying these books. Now, I hope they're reading them. Though one person said he always hopes that there's some that they're not reading them because uh, that means they're left for posterity too. That's another way God transmits his truth is some books don't get used and they're on a shelf and somebody finds them later in history. But, um, but that is, I think, an encouraging sign. That banner of truth, Reformation heritage books, um, Solo Deo Gloria, there are a lot of good publishing homes that have... Um, come into existence and are publishing really great works uh, over the last several centuries here. But we, we need more of the hearing of God's word. We need more preaching, and we need more preachers, uh, not fewer preachers. Uh, please, we need to be praying that the Holy Spirit would uh, equip more men for gospel ministry, more missionaries, more teachers, Uh, and more preachers. Beware of signs in your life uh, to an aversion for hearing uh, the word of God. Are you delighting yourself in the scripture? Are you delighting in God's word? Are you meditating on it? Do you desire to hear preaching? How do you reverse if you find yourself slowing uh, in your want for hearing of the word, if you have become dull in hearing, how do you reverse this here? Well, this may sound counterintuitive, but secondly, you seek more preaching. That is, you become hungry by eating more, if you will. The way we reverse this is to seek it out more. It, may, it would seem, I, I know, counterintuitive to, the, to think that, well, I'm going to become more hungry by getting fed more often. But I think that's the way preaching works, is that the Spirit of God blesses us, feeds us, fills us, but then still what? Wants us wanting more of that word. And so if you find yourself somewhat on the decline spiritually in your own place, and you say, you know, honestly, preacher, I, I'm not where I maybe once was, and I'd like to see that reversed in my life. Maybe one thing you could do is start listening to more preaching maybe this week. Carve out a little bit more time, maybe on while you're driving even. 
using some of that car time to listen. You know, if you run even just a couple, two, three days worth of errands, you can hear a sermon, you know, 15 minutes into town and back home. You know, that, you know, do that a couple times and you've heard some sermons. There's a lot of good material out there uh, for us to hear. So I would say seek it out more. Uh, number three, I would say this. We need to ask the Lord for help and growth. You know, what is it that the apostle here is complaining about? He is saying that there is a dullness in the ears. And how many times, though, have we seen Jesus in the Gospels heal people who had a hearing problem? How many times do we see Jesus you know, sticking his fingers in their ear and praying over them. How many times do we see deaf and mute uh, people speaking and hearing again? How many times do we see people who are blind and crying out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us, the son of David. And he comes over and says, what do you want? I want to regain my sight, Lord. And he heals them. He puts his hands on their eyes and brings them sight. The Lord can help you see and hear. He can help heal you of this dullness. If you find that you are spiritually in a dull place, that the word isn't meeting you with power and strength and energy and vitality, it could be me. <laughs> oh, but it could be you. I know a minister who said he's always suspicious every time uh, a person comes into a communicant interview and he says, you know, I grew up in a church that never preached the gospel. And that minister said, how do you know that they were never preaching the gospel? How do you know it wasn't you who could never hear the gospel? <laughs> Maybe the gospel was being preached every week. But you didn't have ears to hear. Ask the Lord who heals the blind and gives hearing to the impaired to open your ears and open your eyes and to bring the word with power, as we have often prayed from this pulpit, that the Lord would come down, he would rend the heavens and come down, and he would touch the mountains and cause them to smoke. What is that a reference to? I think it's a picture of what God did in Sinai when the voice of the Lord came, when God came down in a cloud and met with the people of God, and the thunder of the Lord's voice and the people of God knew that God was in their midst. He knew that the Lord... They knew that the Lord had been speaking. And that's what we need so desperately in our day here in the West. We need God to come down and meet with us in the church. That the spirit of the Lord, the fire of Pentecost, would come down upon our heads. He would give us the ears and the eyes to see and that uh, others would say, what must I do to be saved? That they would be cut to the quick. This is why the prayer meeting is important as well, that we come as a church together on Wednesday night and plead with the Lord to do this work. I can't convert anybody. Your Sunday school teacher can't convert anybody. Your parents can't convert you, young people. Only Christ can bring us faith. Only Christ can heal us of our, our slothful condition spiritually. Only Christ can bring us new life. Only Christ can make you born again. That's why we as a church should be pleading with the Lord together corporately for God to send his spirit. That we not rely even what we do here on our own strength. 
You know, I was talking with a minister this week in our presbytery, and we were in agreement. I said, you know, not to diminish Sunday school, but Sunday school is the least of what we do here. The prayer meeting is more important than the Sunday school meeting. Because that's where the church comes together. And what are we doing? We plead our helplessness. And we say, God, you must be the one who works here. We don't have it within ourselves. We don't have the strength to do this. This is a work that you must do. So I want to encourage you to make the most of the opportunities to gather and less providentially hindered here on Wednesday night and seek the Lord corporately. And then finally, by way of application, if if you uh, are struggling in uh, a slothfulness of hearing, that you meet with others who can encourage you in growth, or what Jonathan Edwards called social religion. Social religion. What did Edwards mean by that? Edwards meant that common, um, holy fellowship of believers that are strengthening one another through their conversation. One of the things Edwards encouraged that the young people, rather than what the young people were often doing on Sunday night was frolicking about the community, he urged them to gather in homes for what he called social religion. That is just being there together to fellowship and to encourage one another in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ.